world is a hot mess. Every day we read about really horrific acts of man's depravity online. We see evidence of it on TV. And, and worse yet, many of us experience it in our own communities and, and perhaps even in our own homes. Seriously, how low can we go? I mean, what's the absolute worst thing that we can do? Well, find out what God's Word says today on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. I'm Steve Schwetz, inviting you to turn in your Bible to Psalm 13, and we'll travel through Psalm 15. And while you do, let's say hello to Through the Bible's President Greg Harris. Greg, did you bring us some letters from the Bible bus? I did, Steve. And before we read these letters, you often tease me in our personal friendship that my heart is for the world and that maybe I'm not as excited about our domestic ministry. But I want to say on the air to everybody, I love hearing from our U.S. and Canadian listeners because what God does here ripples out to the rest of the world. Yeah. So, it, so it is the other side of the coin of my passion for getting the whole word to the whole world. Yeah, and I love this letter that I'm going to read first from Michael because he quotes James, which is my new favorite book. It says, it means a lot to me that I get to pray for my dear brothers, sisters in the Lord. I appreciate knowing what they are experiencing and share in their joy or their trials. I get to pray for their various needs as well as rejoice with them at what God has done for them through Christ Jesus, our Lord. As I pray, I'm strengthened in my walk with the Lord as well. So we all benefit because the effectual and fervent prayer of those clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus avails much, James 5, verse 16. Praise be to our Father God in heaven and Jesus our Lord forever and ever. Amen. I thank God for your ministry. Hmm. Thank you, Michael. Uh, and he does not reference that he's on the world prayer team, uh, which which brings up an interesting point. He yeah. may be on the world prayer team, or he may just be listening every day and praying. And we want to say, uh, of, although we'd love for you to join the world prayer team, the thousands of people that pray every day, uh, if you just want to pray for this ministry, you have a part. You have, you're a stakeholder in the global impact uh, here in North America and around the world. Yeah. Now, here's a great name, Gracia in Wisconsin. I am so thrilled to write and tell of the way the Lord uses Dr. McGee and this ongoing ministry is so encouraging to me. I am a 40-something-year-old school teacher in a very rough inner-city location. Mm. I've been working hard to stay in this setting, knowing how these kiddos need a praying teacher. Well, let's just stop and say thank you, Gracia, for following that calling. She goes on. This year, however, has proven to be a year of trying in so many ways, and yet I am constantly reminded that this isn't new. The fact that the Bible and the true life stories Dr. McGee shares are so relevant and seem current is a reminder that no matter how rough my job gets, God is there and the world has seen this or worse. Thanks for keeping my mind focused on the right things as we travel the Bible bus together. Mm. Garcia, thank you for your faithfulness to God's word and then also to the to the students and their families that you're serving. Next, here's a message from Scott in Virginia. Warm greetings in the name above all names. I first heard Dr. McGee in 1990 on a transistor radio while working in a booth at a motor bank teller during seminary. Seminary and subsequent church work allowed me and my wife to go overseas with a large mission organization. Sadly, Dr. McGee's voice was not with us. However, we were reunited in 2022 after many years apart, and how I wish modern technology was available during our 17 years in the Middle East and four years in sub-Saharan Africa. Since retiring from overseas work, I've been doing Lyft and Uber 
and am working my way through the five-year study on a Bible bus flash drive. Oh, I also listen to Stephen Gregg on the daily podcast. I can't get enough of Dr. McGee's teaching. It's also been a joy to pass along the Bible bus passes to my passengers, knowing you have prayed over each packet to open the hearts of recipients. May the Lord continue to use you as together we fling the seed. Oh, man, that's so wonderful. I love these stories that track over a period yeah, of years. Yeah, over a lifetime. And and Scott, thank you so much for having those Bible bus passes. We we haven't talked about them in a yeah. little while. And if you want one of those, I love them. They're about the size of a business card. I carry them in my wallet. I've carried them and passed them out before. If you start a, a, a conversation about scripture, about faith, anything, it's a great way to introduce somebody to the Bible bus Go on, you get them for free, 10 packs at a time, you can't beat it. Yeah, it's a great way to have a ministry uh, or extend whatever your personal ministry is. Yeah. Greg, why don't you pray for us as we begin? Father, we, we never grow weary of celebrating your power and your goodness in the lives of those who are willing to put their faith in Christ. And just to hear about the, your faithfulness over so many years uh, in, in the lives of Michael and Gracia and Scott and so many millions of others whose stories we haven't heard yet. We just want to thank you. And now as we turn our hearts to study your word, we ask you'll do the same kind of powerful work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. If you can, now open your copy of God's word to Psalms 13 through 15 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, we are in, actually, a rather doleful section of the book of Psalms, and they are connected here. By the way, we have a direct line that have a very close connection, and that began back with Psalm 9, and it will continue right on through Psalm 15. And these Psalms, they have to do with that time of trouble that's coming and the different ones that figure during that time of trouble, the great tribulation. Antichrist is identified in this section, as we've already seen, and that Jewish remnant that will be true to God, and also the great company of Gentiles that will turn to the Lord during that period. And yet it's a time of great testing. And David writes this psalm out of an experience, and it has a contemporary interpretation. It also has a prophetic or a chronological interpretation. It reaches down to the very end of the age in which actually we're living today and after the church is removed. It has a wonderful application to us. Now, in this 13th psalm, David was being pursued, obviously, here by Saul. He was hiding in the cave of Adullam, and probably the Philistines were teamed up to find him out. He probably was in the wilderness of Ziph. And this man, day after day, found himself in this very awkward position. And in weariness of body and soreness of mind and heart, He cries out to God, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? In other words, he sounds a very pessimistic note here. How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? He feels as if God has forsaken him, and he's on his own. And what you have here is, as Dr. Franz Dalich put it, you have a long, deep sigh. 
It comes finally from a relieved breast by an already much more gentle and half-calm prayer. This is the way he described it. And will you notice now, how long, he says, shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? How long will this continue? At this time, David was a very weary man. And then he turns in prayer to God. This is his resource and his recourse. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. In other words, he said, I'm afraid to go to sleep. Help me to sleep that I get rest, but at the same time that no enemy will come up and kill me while I'm asleep. David, you see, was in grave danger at the time he wrote this. Lest mine enemies say, I have prevailed against him, and those who trouble me rejoice when I move. He said the enemy would rejoice. And, of course, he would rejoice against God, by the way. But now notice he settles back in wonderful faith and trust in God, having heaved this sigh this awful sigh of sorrow. And then it continues into a prayer. And then he finally rests back in a faith in God. This is a beautiful psalm. Listen. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. Now, David didn't think he was going to be smart enough to get out of this on his own. He took every precaution, of course, but he knew only God could deliver him, and God was his salvation. And he says, I will sing unto the Lord, because he hath dealt bountifully with me. My friend, today, wherever you are and whoever you are and however you are, can you still sing praises to God? Now, I find it easy today, and the Lord has been so good to me, and it's easy for me to praise him today. But I think of that man that's right here in Southern California, a man that was in the world for many years, ignored God, and then he took cancer flat of his back, and he's turned to the Lord through listening to this program. And right now, I suppose he's listening. And he is in a bad condition. Yet a friend of mine who visits him told me, he says, it would rejoice your heart and humble you to go and visit this man and see how in the midst of this that he talks about how good God has been to him and how God has saved him and how wonderful he is. May I say to you, when you can praise God in a spot like that, you've arrived, and you may be much farther along than I am, my friend. Now, we come to Psalm 14 here. I wish I could stay with these psalms longer than I am. I reluctantly leave each one of them. But after all, this is just a five-year program, and we do have to move along. Now, in the 14th psalm, this is a psalm that you find it actually linked to other psalms. The 12th psalm, for instance. In that psalm, you'll recall we saw the corruption of the last days. The godly man had ceased, it looked like and the godless was in control of the earth. And corruption and wickedness and lawlessness 
abounded. And you may think it's a picture this day, but actually, if I may use the common colloquialism of the street, you ain't seen nothing yet. Wait till the great tribulation comes. By the way, I hope you don't see that, because God's church, those that are in the body of believers, just not going through it. He's already said, He'd keep them from the hour of trial that's coming on the whole world to try them that dwell on the earth. That's not for the church. He said they'll leave before that time. So we have here the corruption and wickedness of the last days, actually the end of the age, and this psalm certainly sets it before us. Now, will you notice here that it has a marvelous arrangement, and it has such a fine arrangement made by Bishop Horn that I'm going to use his outline today, and he divides this psalm into three parts. You have the corruption of the world in the first three verses, and then you have the second division, the enmity against the people of God. That's verses 4 through 6. And then verse 7, the longing and prayer for salvation. Now, this is the picture of this 14th Psalm. You can see it's a very brief Psalm, but very important. Now, for the first three verses, and we have in these first three verses, I'm reading now verse 1, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Now, the Hebrew word for fool here is Nabal. Now, that may ring a bell in your thinking, because there was a man by the name of Nabal. He was married to a very lovely woman by the name of Abigail. And this man Nabal fell down dead, and he was actually a fool. That's what his name meant. He was a fool. He acted a fool. He wanted to fight against David which had been a big mistake. And when Abigail, who was apparently a very lovely person, and I think she was the greatest wife that David ever had, and so we have here that man Nabal, and that's the word that's used here. Now, the word can be translated by the word simple, or silly, or simpleton, or fool, or madman, that is, insane. And I had a friend that had wonderful success in dealing with atheists. And he was a real brain, by the way. He was in a group of men one day, and one of these atheists there, they're generally big-mouth individuals, he was saying, I don't believe there's a God. I just don't think that there's a God, and I think man, when he dies, he doesn't have a soul. He's just like a dog when he dies. And he was just raving on and raving like a madman. This friend of mine waited till the group began to break up, and he went to this man. He said, by the way, did I understand you to say that you're an atheist? The man launched into another tirade. No, he didn't believe there was a God. Well, my friend said to him, said, I'd like to ask you a question or two. He said, now, the Bible says that the fool had said in his heart, there is no God, and that word fool means insane or a madman. Now he says, either you were not sincere when you said that, you were just talking for the benefit of this crowd, or else you are a fool and a madman. You're insane. And he said, I'd just like to know which one it is. 
May I say to you, the man turned and walked away because only a madman in this universe today and with what man knows about the universe already, he has to be a madman to say there is no God that's back of this universe that we're finding now is ticking off its time more accurately than any clock or watch that man can make. And friends, there's no watch running around today that some man didn't make it. And a universe that is timed much better than any clock, I want to say that universe tells that somewhere there's a universe maker. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. And the fool begins now to appear on the scene. We've already had, by the way, one reference to it back in the 10th Psalm, where it says, God is not in all his thoughts. And the better translation is, all his thoughts are, there is no God. That is the place. Now, the very climax, therefore, of imbecility, as someone has said, is the man that says, there is no God. And he exhibits the very depth of human depravity. Now, I want to say it, and I want to say it carefully, because I recognize that many of them have PhDs today and are teaching in our universities. But the lowest that a man can go in human depravity is an atheist. That's what the Word of God says, not what Vernon McGee says. You're a madman. You're crazy. You haven't any real sense. Now, you may have a high IQ, but I used to teach with a man that was a Ph.D., and he didn't have sense enough to get in out of the rain. And I'll be honest with you, that's true. I played golf with him one day, and it began to rain, and he looked at me, and he says, what shall we do? <laughs> what will any sensible person do when it starts pouring down rain? I said to him, I think we'd better get in out of the rain. Even I knew that, but he didn't seem to know it. He said, what shall we do? May I say to you, and he was really asking for information there, by the way. What shall we do? Now, will you notice, this psalm goes on and says, they are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. And I believe you'll find that every atheist is also a great sinner. I think that you'll find him also given over to gross immorality. That's characteristic. A man was telling me some time ago who mixes with the college set today. He said, it's amazing the number of PhDs who claim to be atheists and who are living in gross immorality. And he says, some of them actually living in filth. And I mean just old material, physical filth. Now, he says here, the Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of man to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. And what did he find? They're all gone aside. Now, they may not be atheists, but this is quoted in the third chapter of Romans by Paul. They're all gone aside. They're all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now, that's a picture of you and me, friend. I'm not an atheist, and I don't imagine you are. But we're sinners. We do not do good. That's not the condition of man at all. So we have here, first of all, the corruption of the world given to us. And this is the very depths that man can go to. Now, verse 4, and we see in this section here something I think very 
important for us to see. It's enmity against the people of God. Now, they're not only against God, but they're against the people of God. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and call not upon the Lord? There were they in great fear, for God is in the generation of the righteous. Ye have shamed the counsel of the poor, because the Lord is his refuge. And all of this pretense today on the part of rich politicians. And a liberal told me not long ago, I know him real well, he's a college professor, but he's a liberal, liberal in theology and liberal in politics. He calls these politicians today limousine liberals. He said they don't know anything about what the poor man goes through at all. They're rich men today and yet they pretend to be liberal. They're like the rich man that the Lord told about that always let some crumbs fall off his table for the poor man, for Lazarus, to keep him satisfied. Now, I found no rich man today giving up his riches to help the poor. He's forgiven up what little you and I have accumulated, and he'll tax us to death. But he somehow or another escapes the taxation. May I say... God sure does know human nature, does he not? This is the picture of them. Now, in verse 7 is this note of triumph. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. And this looks forward in anticipation to that glorious day when out of Zion will come that a longing and prayer for God's salvation. When the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people... Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. Now, you can't misunderstand that prayer. Now, anyone that says they do not believe God has a future purpose for Israel at that very moment are saying they do not know very much about the psalm. Because you may try to avoid what is so clearly stated in other places, but how you can deny when you come to a place like this that this is the heart cry and the joy of the psalmist is down yonder in the future. Now we come to the 15th psalm, and it's another very brief psalm, and it actually marks the conclusion of this section of this very interesting little book of psalms here that began with the ninth. And if you wanted to go back over them, you'd see a tremendous development here. And the 15th psalm gives a description of those who are going to be in the presence of Jehovah. Notice how it begins. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Now, there's one holy hill. That's Zion, we're told. That happens to be over yonder in the land of Israel. That's what he's talking about. He that walketh upright, worketh righteousness, and speaketh truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honoreth them who fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He that putteth not his money to interest, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. And actually what David is saying, exactly what James says, you show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. And in James, it's the works of faith, not works of law. Here it's the works of the law. But both of them produce a righteousness, if you please. 
And who's going to stand before God? Those that have had a faith in God that has produced a life down here. Faith alone saves, as John Calvin put it. But the faith that saves is not alone. It'll produce a life. Do you really believe Jesus is coming and coming soon? I hear so much of that today. But I don't see much change in people's lives. My friend, if you really believe it, you're going to have a life down here that's going to count for God. That's the real test of whether you're looking for Jesus to come. This is a tremendous psalm, is it not? Brings us to the end of this series. We come to Psalm 16 next time. May the Lord richly bless you, my beloved. Next time, the Bible bus takes us through Psalm 16. So join us, and why don't you invite a friend along for the journey? Until then, if you need to reach us, visit ttb.org or call 1-800-65-BIBLE. I'm Steve Schwetz, and as always, I'm going to be right here saving a seat for you and whoever else you bring along. God bless you today as you walk with Him in His Word. Through the Bible exists to take God's whole word to the whole world. And we invite you to stand with us with your faithful prayer and financial support. Where will God's word go today?